In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. This Sunday's Mass, in the first reading, the Church puts before us an incredible scene, the scene of the martyrdom of seven sons and their mother in the book of Maccabees, the second book of Maccabees, chapter 7. The reading from the Missal is rather abbreviated, and so I take the liberty of reading other sections of this passage as we do our prayer together today. It happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips and cords to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. One of them, acting as their spokesman, said, What do you intend to ask and learn from us? For we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our fathers. This is emblematic of the attitude of all martyrs and really of all the saints, and also your attitude, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our fathers. There's a slogan among martyrs and saints that it's better to die than to sin. It's better to give up this earthly life than to voluntarily offend our Lord in a serious manner. It's better to be willing to risk and give up this earthly life in order to assure our eternal life, our life in heaven. And I think as we live in a secularized age, an age that's lost the sense of God, and then also, as a consequence, the sense of evil, the sense of sin, this can be hard for us to understand, especially when we get into the, into the details. They're willing to die rather than to eat swine's flesh, rather than to eat pork. And so as secularist moderns, we might think, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and it's only a little bit of pork. God will understand. Does God really want you to die instead of eating pork. And I think here we have to be very careful. God entered history. God, the creator of the universe, the master of life and death, the source of all that is good, entered history and chose Israel to be his people, to be special to him, to be close to him. And he did it by means of a covenant. And that covenant had certain agreements, certain laws and restrictions, ways of worshiping, ways of acting and behaving, prohibitions on other ways of acting and behaving. And that whole covenant was his relationship with them. It was an expression of his love for them and an expression of their loyalty and love for him. And so it's not a matter of the material detail of whether eating pork in and of itself, is offensive to God. Rather, it's a matter of 
their relationship to him. He is the God who created them. He's the God who is the master of their fate. He is the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses who led them out of Egypt, the God who led them back from the Babylonian exile, the God who inspired all their prophets and inspired their great king, King David, to write those beautiful prayers of the Psalms. He is their God, and they are his people. And so then, in that context, it makes sense, right? We are ready to die rather than transgress the loss of our fathers. We belong to God. We will be obedient to God. We will be loyal to this God who's so good and so awesome. The king fell into a rage and gave orders that pans and cauldrons be heated. These were heated immediately, and he commanded that the tongue of their spokesman be cut out and that they scalp him and cut off his hands and feet while the rest of the brothers and the mother looked on. When he was utterly helpless, the king ordered them to take him to the fire, still breathing, and to fry him in a pan. The smoke from the pan spread widely, but the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly, saying, The Lord God is watching over us, and in truth has compassion on us. As Moses declared in his song, which bore witness against the people to their faces when he said, and he will have compassion on his servants. What a beautiful expression of faith in God's care, faith in God's providence. In the most difficult earthly circumstance, the circumstance of torture, painful, cruel torture, and painful and cruel death, the response of these children of God is that the Lord God is watching over us and in truth has compassion on us. This is walking by faith, not by sight. This is believing in a hope that is not apparent to them. And it's very clearly connected with the belief in eternal life. The martyrs and the saints, when they make that resolute decision not to offend God, even if it means giving up their life, aren't just doing it out of love for God. Yes, that's their primary motivation. God doesn't deserve sin. My soul is never better by sinning, no matter what anyone does to me. And that's a principle that is revealed, but it's also a principle that we come to through sound philosophy. Socrates, through Plato, already discovered this in in the Greek world, right, without revealed religion. Plato formulated through the mouth of Socrates that moral principle that it's better, it's better to suffer evil than ever to do it voluntarily. The suffering that others inflict on us is of a different kind, a different species than the evil and the suffering that we inflict on ourselves when we do something wrong on purpose. It's better to suffer evil than to do it. It hurts us less, no matter how bad it hurts our body and our physical life. It hurts us less to suffer evil than ever to do it on purpose. And so that's the primary motivation to not offend God, to be true to our conscience, to not be evildoers on purpose. But the secondary one, and it's connected, is trust that This life is not the end. This life is not all that there is. Yes, it's the highest possession we have, this side 
of eternity, the side of heaven. But nevertheless, it's a relatively good possession. And ultimately, it's something temporary. The third brother, we'll skip the second. The third brother who dies gives a beautiful witness to this hope and eternal life. If we're good in this life, no matter what it costs us, the reward will be eternal life. God will take care of us in eternity. After him, the third was the victim of their sport. When it was demanded, he quickly put out his tongue and courageously stretched forth his hands and said nobly, I got these from heaven, and because of his laws, I disdained them. And from him, I hope to get them back again. As a result, the king himself and those who were with him were astonished at the young man's spirit, for he regarded his suffering as nothing. A great and noble and beautiful act of hope in God. I'm from God. Everything I have is from God. My life is from God. And if I'm faithful to him, if I'm generous with God, he's going to pay me back in abundance because God is faithful. The next brother also makes reference to this hope in eternal life, this hope in God's care after death. When he too had died, they maltreated and tortured the fourth in the same way. And when he was near death, he said, one cannot but choose to die at the hands of men and to cherish the hope that God gives of being raised again by him. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. St. Josemaria used to say that when life is difficult and when we go through trials and tribulations, it's good for us to think of heaven. It's good for us to think of the reward. He would say that my children think of heaven. My children think of the reward. And sometimes we might think, well, that's not the best motivation where you shouldn't be good just because God's going to reward us. But this is something that God wants to, to look forward to heaven, to strive for heaven, to put up with things because we want to be happy in heaven. It's something that God wants us to do. Jesus talks about the reward of heaven a lot. God revealed to us that we'll only be happy with him fully forever in heaven and not on this earth. And we know that to, to love heaven, to strive for heaven, is to love God, right? God is heaven. To be with God is to be in heaven. Heaven's not some other place. It's a person. It's the three persons of the Trinity who will be united with forever, who will see and glorify and praise and enjoy forever. So to desire heaven, to be bolstered by the thought that, well, this life is passing so I can put up with this difficult circumstance, no matter how difficult it may be. I can be generous with my life and even offer it to God in different situations, even the possibility of martyrdom, if God gives us that grace or puts us to that extreme test. The thought of heaven is a great thing to foster because it's fostering the love of God over the love of ourselves and over the love of this world. The mother was especially admirable and worthy of honorable memory. Though she saw her seven sons perish within a single day, she bore it with good courage because of her hope in the Lord. She encouraged each of them in the language of their fathers, filled with a noble spirit. She fired her woman's reasoning with a man's courage and said to them, 
I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set and ordered the elements within each of you. Therefore, the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws. Lord Jesus, help us not to forget that your Father is the creator of all that is. He's the creator of the universe. He holds it all in existence, and he's the creator in a special way of each one of our souls. He's the Lord of life and death. We're all in his hands, and he has a provident and good plan for us. And so if we come up against trial, against difficulty, against pain, against suffering, illness, death, persecution, whatever, help us to remember, Jesus, that compared to God, all of that is nothing. And in God's plan, all of that, in a certain sense, is good and it's acceptable and we can live through it because he is all powerful and he is all knowing and he is all wise and he is our father. He loves us so much. Antiochus felt that he was being treated with contempt and he was suspicious of her reproachful tone. The youngest brother being still alive, Antiochus not only appealed to him in words, but promised with oaths that he would make him rich and enviable if he would turn away from the ways of his fathers and that he would take him for his friend and entrust him with public affairs. Since the young man would not listen to him at all, the king called the mother to him and urged her to advise the youth to save himself. And this can happen to us if we're really, truly committed Christians, if we discover our Christian vocation to celibacy, to the priesthood, to the religious life, to Christian marriage, to real service in the world, to commitment to the church and to others. Well, there are going to be times when we look back or we're tempted to look back. There's going to be times when the allures of worldly success or worldly pleasure or less disciplined or less generous life strike us as perhaps a better path. We might think that we're missing out. We're struck by what is called FOMO, right? the fear of missing out. And this is what the King Antiochus tempts this last brother with. Look, if you just do this, I'll give you a great earthly life. Right? You'll be the advisor of the king. You'll be rich. You'll be enviable. You'll have great repute. You have all the goods in the world, all the goods that riches in this life can give you. And in, in the face of that, right, our soul can have different reactions. Uh, one would be to chuck Christianity or, or totally give up on the ideal of sanctity, to lessen in a kind of radical way the demands that God has put on us, demands that we've taken up freely in our vocation, right, to abandon ship. Another would be to kind of compromise, and I think we probably do this a lot, where, yeah, I want to be Christian, and yeah, I want to be a good Christian, I want to have a life of prayer, but let's also make it as worldly pleasing as possible. Like, let's give in to the allures of the world and the goods of the world 
uh, as much as I can without sinning and still be a pretty good Christian, right? Some sort of compromise. Or we can kind of be resentful and we still try to be good and dutiful, but part of us is sad by the loss of that other life, of that more worldly, pleasing life in the eyes of in the eyes of others and in our own eyes. Jesus, help my response to be none of the above, right? None of the above. Of course, I don't want to abandon my vocation. I also, Lord, don't want to adulterate my dedication with a kind of lukewarmness and a kind of seeking for compensation. And Lord, I don't want to be like the elder son in the parable of the prodigal son, who's good, who's dutiful, but he's resentful and not happy. God loves a cheerful giver. Lord, help me to give myself to you fully in my vocation, accepting all of the austerity of the Christian life, all the demands and discipline of the Christian life, cheerfully, generously, cheerfully, with a cheerful spirit, joyfully, because I know this is the best. This is the gold. This is the best life. The king called the mother to him and urged her to advise the youth to save himself. After much urging on his part, she undertook to persuade her son. But leaning close to him, she spoke in their native tongue as follows, deriding the cruel tyrant. My son, have pity on me. I carried you nine months in my womb and nursed you for three years and have reared you and brought you up to this point in your life and have taken care of you. I beseech you, my child, to look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them and recognize that God did not make them out of things that existed. Thus also mankind comes into being. Do not fear this butcher but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. A beautiful mixture here of a mother's love for her son and a mother's faith and hope in God for their salvation and for their love that will be together forever in heaven. While she was still speaking, the young man said, What are you waiting for? I will not obey the king's command, but I obey the command of the law that was given to our fathers through Moses. But you, who have contrived all sorts of evil against the Hebrews, will certainly not escape the hands of God. For we are suffering because of our own sins, and if our Lord is angry for a little while to rebuke and discipline us, he will again be reconciled with his own servants. But you, unholy wretch, you most defiled of all men. Do not be elated in vain and puffed up by uncertain hopes when you raise your hand against the children of heaven. You have not yet escaped the judgment of the Almighty, all-seeing God. For our brothers, after enduring a brief suffering, have drunk of overflowing life under God's covenant. But you, by the judgment of God, will receive just punishment for your arrogance. I, like my brothers, give up body and life for the laws of our fathers, appealing to God to show mercy soon to our nation and by afflictions and plagues to make you confess that he alone is God and through me and my brothers to bring to an end the wrath of the Almighty, which has justly fallen on our whole nation. The king fell into a rage and handled him worse than the others. I don't know how that was possible if we remember the fate of the first of the first brother. <laughs> 
The king fell into a rage and handled him worse than the others, being exasperated at his scorn. So he died in his integrity, putting his whole trust in the Lord. Last of all, the mother died after her sons. What a beautiful foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. This last brother says, I'm not just doing this not to offend God. And I'm not even just doing this because I believe in eternal life. I'm offering my life for others. I'm offering my life so that the nation of Israel can benefit, so that God will have mercy on them and bring them once again to prominence. And this is our Lord. Greater love than this has no man that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Lord, you are that friend who laid down your life for us at a great cost to yourself. Father, if it's possible, you prayed in the agony of the garden, going through that tremendous suffering unique to you of taking on sin, even though you're totally innocent. Father, if it's possible, let this chalice pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Greater love has no man than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And it's really a question of value. What, Lord, am I willing to suffer for? What am I willing to live for? What am I willing to die for? Lord, what really matters to me in this life? Is it just my pleasure? Is it just my success? Is it just my reputation? Is it just my health? Or is there something that's worth sacrificing all of that for? You, Lord, and souls, you are totally, totally worth it. And this is how we know how things are valued, right? What the value of something comes from what people are willing to give up for it, what people are willing to pay for it. And in a beautiful way, this reveals to us the value of our own souls. God so loved the world. God so loved each one of us that he gave up his only begotten son. And Jesus, you so loved the world that you laid down your life, the most perfect human life that there was, the human life of the Son of God, perfect God and perfect man. You so loved us, Lord, that you gave up your best earthly possession, your human life, for us. God can't love us more than he does. And this is helpful, Lord. It's helpful for me to look at the difficulties, the sacrifices of my life, and to try to embrace them with a true Christian spirit, a trust in God, trust in eternal life, and also love for God and others. That my sacrifices when offered up for others, my small things that I put up with when offered up for the people in my life, they make a difference. Right? They win grace for people. They rise up like a prayer to God and they unlock his grace for people when we suffer out of love for others. And this mother, doesn't she remind us of Our Lady? Our Lady at the foot of the cross takes what's most precious to her. And because of hope in God, great faith and hope in God's plan. And in a very real way, because of love for her son, she wants what her son wants. And her son wants to do this. And her son has come to redeem us and redeem us on the cross. He wants it. And so even though it costs her tremendously, she wins a martyr's crown at the foot of the cross, seeing her son die unjustly because he wants it as she wants it too. 
and reflection on God's love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in combination with reflection on this mother's love for her children and Mary's love for her son. Also, it gives us a glimpse into how much God loves us. I think of a good mother, how much she loves her little child, how much a mother loves her children. Well, St. Josemaria would say, well, God loves us with more love than all the mothers in the world combined. Each one of us is that special to God. And Jesus proves it by getting on the cross for us. Greater love than this has no man that a man lay down his life for his friends. That helps us to realize how much our souls are worth. My soul, my salvation, my goodness is worth all the blood of Christ. St. Josemaria used to say that to people. You're worth all the blood of Christ. Each one of you is worth all the blood of Christ. If you were the only soul that needed to be redeemed, Jesus would have gotten on the cross for you, for me. That helps us to realize our own worth and the worth of others, right? Everyone in my life, no matter how difficult it is for me to get along with them, no matter how bad they seem, or perhaps even how poorly they've treated me, well, God loves them with a father's love. God loves them with a mother's love. God loves them with all the love that there is. And that helps me to think, well, if I was this person's mother, how would I feel about them? How would I try to help them? How would I be patient with them? If I could step into God's heart and see them from there, how would I be motivated to forgive them or serve them or be patient with them? And that's a great thing for us to do in our mental prayer, to remind ourselves how much God loves us, how much God loves everyone in our life, more than all the mothers in the world could ever love their children. And then to switch places with God, to try to see others with God's mercy, with God's hope for them, with God's compassion. Yes, with God's desire that they improve. And so sometimes we have to help people improve by correcting them or punishing them or calling them out in some way, calling them to be better. But with God's vision, with God's love. Lord, help us to learn these lessons from this wonderful story, very difficult story, of course, um, kind of violent and gruesome, but at the same time, a wonderful story of this great attitude of a tremendous trust and loyalty in God, being faithful to the covenant, faithful to the way of life, that God has given them to the point of death. And if God's not worth dying for, what is there that's worth dying for? And if there's nothing worth dying for, well, then what are we living for? We're going to die eventually anyway. What am I living my life for? And if God's not worth living for, well, then what's worth living for? How little a life is to give to God. St. Josemaria writes in the way. How little a life is to give to God. And how great a life is to give to God. And what a great life God gave to us. By dying on the cross, he opened up Christian life for us. Life as a participation in God's own life. Lord, help me to take sin seriously. Never to sin on purpose. If I can avoid it, to cut out all mortal sins, of course. To cut out all deliberate habits of venial sin. And help me to press forward to the goal, as St. Paul puts it, to press forward to the goal 
of eternal life by being faithful and generous with you and others during this life. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of Martyrs, Mary at the foot of the cross, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.